Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. And my topic is called Remember the Lion and the Bear, Remembering the Lion and the Bear. It's actually a a topic of leadership I've been waiting to share for quite some time. And it really came out of a season and a lesson, a hard lesson that I learned at at a very significant uh, moment in my spiritual life and my leadership that really did change the trajectory of my uh, of my life. So before we get into today's topic, however, I want to invite you to consider partnering with us at Emotionally Healthy Discipleship on Giving Tuesday, uh, which takes place the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, two weeks from now. It's a time when ministries and nonprofits raise uh, support for the coming year. Uh, and in this Giving Tuesday, our focus at EH Discipleship is going to be to raise money to launch the Spanish language of uh, Spanish language launch of Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course around the world. There's actually 477 plus million native uh, Spanish speakers around the world. And we have a very large door open before us uh, with the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course leaders kit. Uh, It's actually being translated into Spanish fully, both the spirituality course and the relationships course with DVDs, everything, uh, the day-by-day books, the workbooks, uh, the books, going to be translated and released uh, in Spanish as a kit uh, and available globally as of this May, June of this coming year. And the course, as many of you know, offers a deep dive into the culture of EH discipleship, and it just has massive implications long term. And so we're raising money to launch our website into Spanish. That includes uh, translations of a lot of resources that we offer for free in our Leaders Vault, uh, leaders resource vault, things like schedules and PowerPoints and level one training on how do you master the launch of the EH Discipleship course, videos that we've done for t- training table leaders, etc. And uh, we're going to release some Spanish speaking coaches uh, for uh, North America and beyond to help churches actually integrate the courses. It's, it's going to be a major bombshell for Latin America. We're very excited about it. So we want to invite you to pray about uh, giving uh, generously uh, with us and joining us on Tuesday, December 3rd for that. All right, with that, uh, let's go to the lion and the bear. And let me give you some context of what I'm talking about here. And then I'm going to invite you to listen into a, a message that I gave on the 20th anniversary of New Life Fellowship when I was still uh, the senior pastor and I actually preached on the text. Now, at this point, I've been leading the church for 19 years, almost 20, but I was stuck. Uh, a number of things were out of order in, in in the church, from some people being in wrong positions to areas of the ministry that really needed some significant adjustments, difficult decisions needed to be made. And, and I, I felt stuck. I, I felt I wanted to quit. Part of me wanted to quit. Uh, something was broken organizationally, or actually a number of things were, uh, and it felt things felt fragile to me. And uh, we were not living out on the executive level of our leadership what I would call a slow down spirituality, all the contemplative stuff we talk about here, as well as the emotional health, high level implication material. And uh, I wasn't doing some of the hard work that needed to be done. And, and I and I just had this kind of a thing in my head that, no, Pete, you just can't do it. Uh, the executive functions of leadership, you're great at vision casting, you're great at preaching and, and teaching. But when it comes to things like strategy and supervision and you know, stewarding and, you know, firing, hiring, the challenge of budgeting, all those, all those executive decisions of leadership, you're just not any good at it, you know, and, and, uh, and I just, I was stuck. And uh, it became very apparent to me that uh, I was now the biggest deterrent uh, to the church moving forward into what God had for her. And I had this depressive voice in me telling me, 
everything that I was incapable of doing. It really was my worst self, not my best self. And my anxiety, my anxiety would kick in. I'd find myself regressing uh, versus settling myself down. And it was this kind of voice, I can't. And a mentor uh, challenged me about thinking about how God had been faithful to me in the past and all the areas how God had uh, come through for me and, and taught me new things and taken me to new places. And and so I, I began to just make a list of all the areas of my life since I'd come, come to Christ um, as a 19-year-old where God had taught me new things and taken me to new arenas uh, and, in amazing ways. And, and so over a period of a couple of weeks, I just began to make these, this list um, and in my journal. And I was actually in awe of God's faithfulness. And then I, I somehow came into this text in 1 Samuel 17 of the lion and the bear. And it's a story when David comes up against uh, Goliath. And he shows up and he sees Goliath challenging the troops. And Saul says to him, you can't do it. He says, I'll go fight this guy, this Philistine. And 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 uh, Saul, the king, the authority figure, the one who had commanded a, a massive army uh, against the Amalekites, says to him, you can't do it. And David responds by saying, you know what? Uh, your servant's been keeping his father's sheep. And he goes, when a lion or bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I struck it and killed it. And again, he goes, and he says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, that is Goliath, will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And the Lord, he says, who rescued me from the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. And I was like, oh my gosh, David drew on the past of his smaller victories of how God had come through for him with the lion and the bear. Then he was able to look at Goliath and say, even though this is bigger, God's going to enable me to bring him down too. And so when I saw this, it was, it was a revelation. I was, I was frightened, uh, but I saw God. And, and so at that point, I actually made a decision. I, I actually became uh, executive pastor for a two-year period at New Life Fellowship. I canceled a writing contract. I was going to write a book. I, I canceled many, many speaking engagements. I, I said no to everything at that point. And I just found great freedom energy. And instead of regressing when all this anxiety kicked in and being stuck, I began to tolerate the pain. And I said, feelings aside, what's the best thing for this church long-term? And, and, I, and I began to uh, come into the, the, the leadership functions, executive leadership functions, and, and treating them as sacred before God, as a meaningful endeavor, as meaningful as prayer and Bible study and preaching. And, and I began to look at things like, what are my commitments? Do I have time to do this? Um, and I began to run meetings differently. I began to really prayerfully prepare. It's when I began to really integrate the contemplative into the executive running of the church and holding before God people and their roles and their job descriptions. And I began to be very clear on how I'm, I was going to communicate and thinking through things and what are the concrete steps to get here if we go this direction? What's the calendar look like? And my goal was very simple, was to, to move new life into a higher level of integrity on all, uh, on all levels and really asking the hard questions of how much time is this actually going to take? And do we really have the resources to follow through? And instead of avoiding, which had really been my strategy, uh, and, and, I, and avoiding what was uncomfortable, I began to stay what was uncomfortable. I began to have difficult conversations, set goals, think through the steps to those goals, look at the calendar. And this was very, very hard for me. And I can't was my mantra. Uh, and then God brought me this lesson of the lion and the bear, and it transformed my life and leadership. 
I, I, re- I think at that point I became the leader of New Life. I, mean, I felt like the leader, not just a pastor, preacher, founder. And the whole book, Emotionally Healthy Leader, actually came out of that, you know, six, seven years later. So you're going to hear a message now that came out of this learning of remembering the lion and the bear. And uh, I, that I actually brought to the church, at, you know, after probably moving into it over for over a year. I want to invite you to ponder it and asking God to, to you know, what is that depressive, maybe perfectionistic voice that you need to step over so you can step into what God has for you in the future. And may David's lesson change your leadership as it did mine. All right, so enjoy this message. Remember the lion and the bear. look at David, who had great awareness of his past, his present, his future, and his perspective as we ponder our own. Now, many of you know the story of David and Goliath here in 1 Samuel 17, and uh, it's situated in a big valley with two mountains on both sides, and the army of Israel is on one side, and the Philistine army is on the other side. There's a big valley between the two of them. And Goliath is the head of the Philistine army. He says he's described in the beginning of chapter 17 as a as a, a champion. He, he's, he's nine foot tall. He's ferocious. He's, you know, he's, he's Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, personified. He's, he's killed everybody who's approached him up to this point. He's, he's undefeated. And he's a very large man. He's got a, a coat of armor that weighs 125 pounds and a spear that weighs 15 at just the tip. And he's got a javelin to pull out and just kill you from a distance and an armor bearer with a big, big, um, uh, rectangular shield. I mean, he just, he seems invincible. And uh, he's got years of experience. And, he, and uh, he's been ridiculing Israel at this point for, for 40 days. Every morning, every night, he comes out and he says, you bring me one soldier, I'll go out and fight him. Whoever wins, that's it. Uh, my voice sounds funny. What do you think, Peter? Okay. It's okay, good. You say okay, I believe okay. All right. And uh, so it says that the, in verse 11 that the whole army of Israel is dismayed and terrified. And uh, so David comes out. Uh, the whole, the, the Israel has got a great history, a great past, but they're forgetting it at this point, and they're crippled in fear, and they're full of anxiety. Just, just try to picture tens of thousands of Israeli soldiers in trenches and behind rocks, terrified to come up against this guy, Goliath, who was just, just a massive figure, a champion, undefeated. And so David does something incredible. David, a young boy, steps out, and uh, he, with a slingshot and a, and a stone, uh, no sword, no armor, he comes out and he, and he attacks Goliath. I mean, he, he charges Goliath and uh, brings him down, kills him. And he engenders faith in the whole army, the whole nation, and his faith, his life, his integrity sets everybody free. It's a great story. And it's his understanding of how did he do this that I want us to look at at the 20-year mark. Uh, because our tendency is to look at our future and look at our Goliaths and what's ahead of us. And we, we look at, at it through the lens of all of our failures. We think, we look at the future and say, ah, but I screwed up here, I messed up here, I made this mistake, I should never have made that decision. And, and we look through a lens of failure. And we get discouraged, we get fearful, we get paralyzed, and those voices come at us with great force. And we end up staying where we are, not moving, anxious and uh, wrecked. But David looks at his future through a different lens. He remembers very intentionally 
his successes. And he makes a decision to remember the lion and the bear. And it so informs him, he charges. So I want to read the text, uh, and, uh, which is found in verse 33 to 37 of chapter 17. Michael, this isn't moving. Okay, there is the text. All right. I'm in verse 33 of 1 Samuel 17, where Saul replies, Saul's the great king, and he's the great military commander. You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy. And he has been a fighting man, fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. All right, now, so I want you to think with me about the past, then we'll go to the present and the future. David remembers the past. He remembers the lion and the bear. He remembers the fact of, you know what? There was a time when a lion and bear had carried off some sheep. I went after them, and I slew them. I killed them. God delivered me. And he says, now in the same way, God is going to deliver me from this big Goliath in front of me. He's going to bring him down. Now, he, like us, has two voices coming at him. He's got the voice of his success, the lion and bear. And then we've got those depressive voices that I'm sure he heard, like we hear, you're going to fail. This Goliath guy is going to eat you up and spit you out. Uh, and, and you want to quit. You'll never amount to anything. And was, you know, I, you got to step back and say, was David terrified? The answer is, of course. I mean, standing up in front of Goliath, the whole army's quaking in fear. And uh, he, like us, undoubtedly had emotions that were running wild. You see, it says in verse 24, the Israelites ran from him in great fear. Could you imagine the environment? But he does something very brave. You know, one definition of bravery that I've read says this. Bravery means you're terrified, but you move forward anyway. And you go forward through your fears. We think bravery is not being afraid. No, bravery is you're terrified, but you move through them your anxiety, and you go forward. And that's what David does. Listen, we all have our moments, and, and it's easy to forget the lion and the bear, the great successes, when our emotions and anxiety grab hold of us. And David's no different. You know, I, I, when I think of new life, I mean, we, uh, I remember the voices. Even when we first started the church, it was, it was only about eight or ten of us, so everybody was a leader. If you, if you breathed, you were a leader. And so... <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I like to say we, we had a PhD in mistakes. And so one of, the, one of the leaders said, you know what, Pete? I think God wants to do something here. I just don't think you're the guy. And I was like, wow. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's very encouraging. And, of course, I've got all those voices saying you don't know what you're doing and you're a loser. Another fellow in the little core group says, you know what? There's a lot of churches in Queens. Do we really need another church? And I'm like, yeah, maybe you're right. Let's get out of here, you know. And, and those voices come at us. 
And new life, I mean, we, we've got, I mean, we've got a good list of failures and mistakes that we've made. I mean, I, everything from going too fast, being impatient, not waiting on God, birthing Ishmael's, uh, not connecting loving well to spiritually maturity, you know, emotional health and spiritual maturity being separated. Uh, we were afraid of speaking the truth and confronting people, created a big mess, didn't want to ask hard questions. And so we've got our failures. And I could spend a lot of time on it and go down. But David speaks to me and speaks to us because new life has some incredible successes. And I started just making a list of the lion and the bears that God has brought down in 20 years, just here at New Life. And uh, just to remember them, because as we remember them, even though they're smaller than the Goliaths in the present, all of a sudden you realize this Goliath is coming down. And so just think of New Life. I think of New Life, for example, we first started, we didn't have any money. We had very few people. And I think we had about 100 bucks a week, 123 bucks a week coming in, you know. And we, had, we didn't have any place to meet as we started. And, but we had a vision that really required us to be in a, you know, this part of Queens. And, and I just remember walking around looking for a place to meet and people wanting thousands of dollars of rent for this and thousands of dollars of rent here. And, and how God opened up a door, a miraculous door of this Corona church. You saw it in the picture during the uh, videos. A unique location, an incredible location, right smack in the middle of, you know, Queens. And without any money, how God opened that up. It just happened that the person who was that, their pastor, they were a small church. She was looking to make a few bucks. And we had just a few bucks. And she had heard of me, and she knew me went to a similar seminary, you know. And it was just amazing how God worked it out. They had never rented to anybody in 114 years. And it just happened right there we were, you know. And I think of how God brought people who gave us wise counsel at key moments along the way that made such a difference. Then we got some bad counsel too, but we had some great counsel that came along. I, you know, some of the people that God brought were just incredible. I mean, you, met, you saw Abner and Anita who, I mean, Abner was the first person I think that came to Christ at New Life and uh, in that cell group in Jamaica, Queens and before the church started. I think of Denise Costas, that whole Bible study at Elmhurst Hospital and how all these doctors and nurses started showing up there and how so many folks came at that point. The former CEO of JCPenney, some of you don't know this, he, his name was Don Seibert. Um, he retired from JCPenney, and for the next eight years, he gave us one day a week at New Life. He would drive in from New Jersey. God had, give, God had touched him about what we were doing. We were a very small group. And he was so concerned about the integrity of this little church that was starting out. And he'd seen a lot of disasters in churches. And he came in and got involved in our finances and our business model. There wasn't much to look at, I thought. But he was so concerned about the integrity of the future of new life that we used to, I used to joke around. I'd, I'd say, I'm going to fire you if you don't shape up, you know, as he would come in a day a week and drive in his Cadillac, you know, and land in a parking lot and, 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 and serve us for a day. And then our whole community development corporation really sprung out of him. He was such a blessing. And I thought of people God brought with resources and wisdom along the way. We outgrew that Corona facility. We started a Spanish congregation in the afternoon and we were, two, we were one church in two languages. And some of you were there. It was very, very crowded. And so it was 1992, we had to move. Some, something had to break. And so I remember we, we, we came here, the English congregation, we moved here. And we rented, I don't know if it was the first time we rented. It was like, the place in Corona sat about 150 people, 175 people. We came here for an Easter morning service. It was like, we felt like we were going to Yankee Stadium. It was like, this place was massive, you know, there wasn't that many of us. Um, but it, it was such a big move, it was so scary. We thought, oh my goodness, are we going to make it through this transition of making room over there for the Spanish and us moving over here. And there were a number of people said, this, is not, this move is not going to work. This building is filled with demons. We said, what are you going to say? You know, demons all over the wall. I just added them to the attendance every week. It was a great encouragement. 
And then I remember I was, I was finally realizing I could not do these, you know, both congregations. We both were now getting too large. And Julio Rodriguez had become a Christian through one of the vacation Bible schools that we did out in the streets. He was a seven-year-old Christian. And we, we, we gave him the Spanish congregation. He said, Julio, you're going to be the pastor. Seven-year-old Christian. And that thing has now grown to well over 1,000 people. And he's become quite a leader over this year and quite a man of God. And just how, what, a, what an amazing miracle that was. His whole development with his wife was just, just incredible. Jerry and I, another lion and bear, amazing thing God did was, I remember Jerry and I, as all of you know, hit bottom. Uh, and in our marriage, in our, our own selves, our family, our leadership, I mean, we wanted to run out for the hills. And we didn't just survive, but God did something miraculous in us. And we came back that the worst moment of our lives became the best moment of our lives. And, and out of that sprung this whole emotionally healthy spirituality and and, uh, you know, our first sabbatical, and Peter Rowan was telling me just yesterday how, you know, I remember 1996, we didn't know what was happening because you guys were going through so much change. And it was like scary every week, like, where is this thing going? Because it was such a different model as you began to integrate emotional health. But it really is amazing what God did. And, and then I think about how just what God did at New Life. I mean, New Life has so many different strands to it that make it what it is. So many unique kind of streams, everything from reconciliation, a commitment to you know, bridging racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers, a commitment to the poor and marginalized, a commitment to small groups and community, a commitment to serious Bible study, a commitment to worship and prayer and the prophetic and the presence of God. You know, I mean, it's just all these things together is what makes new life its uniqueness. And only God could have put all those elements in one particular church. And it's just, it's just amazing. When I, when I think of the diversity that we have here, you know, we had a dream from day one. We planted new life that we'd be a church that would not be divided by race or social class or culture, but that the gospel's powerful enough to really melt those barriers. And you know what? You can't plan that out. You can't make it happen. It's a God thing. And we sit here today, you know what? We've come as far as we have come by God. It's a miracle we are who we are. And it's one thing to talk about it and preach about it. It's another thing. God just did some things here, friends, that we just have to stand in awe and say, man, God slew the lion and the bear. When I think about we, we finally got to a place, we realized that we, we, this place was being sold, the Elks Lodge. We didn't have a building. And understand that all of us in leadership at that point, and I think I say all, and it's not a, an overstatement, none of us were into buildings. In fact, that's part of the reason we went to New Life Fellowship, because New Life didn't have anything, didn't own anything. But we got to a place and a size, uh, we needed a place to meet. And the buying of this building on Queens Boulevard, a landmark in the center of, it was center of New York City, Friends, for six and a half million dollars, considering who we were as a church, was a total miracle. It was a miracle. I mean, we were offered $10 million for the building from another person before we even closed. It was just astonishing how God just moved on our behalf. I mean, who would have ever dreamed that we would have had a facility like this when none of us were even into facilities? And uh, how God did that. I think of the Philippines, mission trips that began 12, 13 years ago, and and the, the churches that were planted there, and the health fairs, and medical clinic, and beats and blessings, and just how things have evolved over the years. And, and probably most importantly, it's just the incredible people. I mean, really, I, some are not here. Some are not even alive, we saw in the pictures any longer. I mean, just who gave time, energy, money. People gave their life savings. Uh, people shared salaries. There was so little out there, but there was a commitment to a vision. And we stand here today because of really God having touched people. In, in ways that really is just magnificent. And we do stand on their shoulders as we go forward for the next generation. But make no mistake about it, it's a miracle. It really is a miracle. And, then, and finally, I just, 
When you think about New Life Fellowship, we're, 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 simply, we're a local church in, in Elmhurst, Queens, New York. But God has given us, really, without any planning of our own, a national and international influence. I mean, somehow our little church here has had, is having and has had an impact all over North America. And we just, it just, it's a miracle how God even did that when we don't even have the infrastructure for that to happen. But God did it, and um, he has killed a lion and the bear. And I think David didn't simply look at his, as David looked at his present, with Goliath in front of him, he was very aware of the past, and he didn't listen to all those depressing voices that say, you're a loser, you're no good, you're a bum, you made a million mistakes. He stopped, he got a sense of hold of his emotions, and he thought clearly. He says, you know what? God delivered me from the lion and the bear. And then he went to his present, which I'll go to right here. As you look at his present, he said, wow, we're in a transition. The transition is, we can't go back. We'll be under slavery of the Philistines and, and Goliath. And Israel has got to go forward, but to go forward, it's got to go through Goliath. And, um, and going forward for David was going to require going deep within himself. And what's so interesting about this passage is you, you'll see, take, remember Saul puts armor on him? And tries to dress him up. Because this is the way you're supposed to fight battles, David. Gives him a sword. And, and David just sits, he puts on this armor, but it doesn't work. And he finally takes it off. And then he goes to a stream and he picks up five smooth stones and a slingshot. Because that's who he is. And he goes out and he's just himself. And he charges Goliath. And he brings Goliath down in verse 48. And, and in the same way, as we look at our present, we say, okay, you know what? Uh, we, we've learned some things from other churches. And that's a good thing. But I think it's taken us 20 years to get to a place and say, you know what? We just need to take off all the armor of people's expectations, other churches' expectations, even our own pathology. Just take it off and let's be faithful to what God has uniquely called us to be as a church at New Life Fellowship. And let's go out with our slingshot and a few stones and bring down the Goliaths that God's, brought, God's put before us. And uh, that is not an easy thing to do, as many of you know. Uh, but I believe new life is in a transition, very much, just like Israel was, because we have grown in size. And size growth is a blessing and also brings great dangers to it uh, because we have great choices before us. And the issues before us are really issues of integrity as a family, about being who God called us to be. And, and so we are addressing our personal integrity as a church as we have grown larger. And so it means, for example, the application of contemplative spirituality, emotional health, reconciliation on every level of the church. And so we are, uh, you know, we, we're dealing with and positioning ourselves right now as a church, as an elder board and staff team, so we can be a healthy, strong church and a vessel through whom God's power moves. And we can be a blessing to the world. But, but uh, we're looking at our infrastructure and our leadership, and we're putting a rule of life in place for our pastors and eventually our leaders CDC, our Community Development Corporation, is getting in position to hopefully really serve the community long term. We're addressing building issues, friends, that we never cared about because we realize that unless we're compliant legally with the city of New York, we're never going to be able to really reach this community and do what God's asked us to do. And so we're presently looking at long-term, larger issues that are going to have long-term impact. We've grown up a bit, but we are presently in a transition. And really, it all revolves around this theme of long-range uh, uh, integrity, a personal integrity. But David, David had a perspective of something bigger than himself. But I want to go to th th this, this third thing, which is the future. And uh, because David had to contend with Goliath, and, uh, who was standing in front of him. And I want you to look at verse 46, because here's David's Goliath. 
Now, I don't know what your Goliath is today. You probably got maybe a financial Goliath or, or a friendship Goliath or a relational marriage Goliath or a job Goliath. I don't know what yours is. But here's what's David. Here's David, verse 46. He goes, this day the Lord will hand you over to me. I mean, what guts? And I'll strike you down and cut off your head. I mean, he's just bold and almost feels arrogant, but he's remembering the lion and the bear. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. And then he charges. Now that's his Goliath. Now as, you think of, as I think of our future and you think of our future, what's our Goliath? And I want to tell you, it is not parking spaces. It's not more space, bigger buildings, and more money. And it's not more people, uh, more numbers. Our Goliath is, I believe, the issue of ongoing personal integrity and quality. Now, I want you to look back with me for a minute at this verse 34 and 35. It's underlined up there. When David says to Saul, listen, when Saul says you can't do it, it says, you're, it says, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from a flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. Just think. Dave, imagine you're taking care of a bunch of sheep, okay? A lion comes and grabs one of the sheep. You got, say you got 200 sheep. Somebody grabs a sheep, they go off. What would you do? I would say, well, we lost one. You know, I mean, goodbye. I mean, the lion's going to eat them. And so you let it go, and I'll do better next time, right? I get my BB gun out, you know? Um, but what David does is, is he goes after the lion for that one sheep. And, and he says he, 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 he struck the, sheep, the lion and the bear, and he, when the bear turned on him, he sees it and kills it. I mean, it's un- I mean, talk about personal integrity. He didn't have to go after that lion and bear. He could have just said, we lost one. Or said, you know what? God allowed it. It was the devil. Well, he could, have, he, could have, he could have put spin on it, you know? I mean, but he doesn't spin it. He takes his time. And he risks his life. He could have gotten killed. Now imagine. Sometimes what is easy is not best. And part of uh, us at New Life Fellowship is, is are we going to take responsibility to live out what we believe? Are we going to bring out the best in people, even if it's hard? Are we going to have integrity and go after the lion and the bear? Or we say, you know what? It doesn't matter that much. Let me tell you something. The reason he could attack, he could attack Goliath, because he had integrity with that lion and the bear. And he knew himself, he knew God, and he attacked. So if we think about new life, what's our Goliath? What's that integrity look like? I started just making a list of what's our Goliath of integrity as a church. And I made this long list and my wife said she'll shoot me if I shared it all because it's a great list, but it's a long list. I'll just share a few things about what I believe is our integrity line as a church, our integrity as a church to go forward because God's called us to this. I, 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 to be a church where our pastors, our elders, our leaders, our, our, us as a people, we're so rooted in God. I'm talking about the word and prayer, that we live in private what we say in public. And uh, we love Christ above all else. You know, that we're a church that engages in Sabbath rest. We truly embrace a countercultural lifestyle. 
We provide a place of stillness and joy and rest in God amidst a culture and a city that's running, multitasking, out of control. That we somehow are, we're people that our number one concern, our number one concern is none of us are going after worldly success or the approval of other people or even earthly security. But we love Christ with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And that we're becoming, each of us, the unique individuals that God intends for us from all eternity. That we be a church and a people, we don't strive, we don't manipulate or spin the truth, but we embrace the truth in all of her forms. Truth about ourselves, truth about our relationships, truth about God. That we'd be a church where we're really building friendships, not just gathering multiracially, multiculturally. We're actually building friendships and relationships across race, culture, social class, gender, nationality, generationally, out of a love for Christ and a full understanding of the gospel, Ephesians chapter 2. That we're, we'd be a church that values love and character and humility before we value anointing and power, and gifts, and production. You know, that we be a church where marriages, and families, and singles experience a profound transformation, and and really get greatly equipped for their lives. That we're a church that brings Jesus to the world. I can go on, you know, especially the young people, you know, and oh my gosh, and that we're a people that genuinely cultivate, we pray, We don't just pray at prayer meetings. Our life is one of communion with God, and every one of us is cultivating their personal relationship with Christ. We're not living off other people's spirituality. We're growing up into maturity and going somewhere. And that we're a church, you know what? We have one goal as a church. You know what that goal is? The will of God. We're not creating a goal out of our own pride or anxiety or fear. Our goal is God's will. That's a heavy goal. Wherever it goes, because you don't know where it's going, do you? And then finally, a Goliath is that we would be a church that we've been so set free from the unhealthy patterns in our cultures and ethnicities and families of origin and Western culture, and that we've come together as the new family of Jesus, as a family, and we're living out this kingdom of God in such a way that when people come in contact with us, whether it's our small groups or communities or here on Sundays or prayer meetings or whatever's going on, people come and they taste something of heaven because the greatest gift that we can give the culture is Jesus. And they come to us and they experience something that can be found no other place on the face of the earth. Friends, it really is a gift to be here. But when I think about going forward with all the weights of pressures coming against us, it'd be a miracle. But you know what? The Lord who delivered us from the lion and the bear and brought us this far in 20 years, is the God who will bring us through the Goliaths in front of us. And they will collapse so that we can be a people of integrity, personal integrity, and corporate integrity, and really honor Christ, that people would meet us and meet Christ. But I'll tell you one thing, it's going to take God to bring us there, because the pressures are so great. So let me just close with two little applications for you, know, you in this room here, and, and um, as we look to the future. One is, I want to I invite you and encourage you to take responsibility for your life, and And uh, because, as we said last week, we can't have a healthy church community without individuals who are healthy. So let me ask you about your personal integrity right now, as you sit here. Does your life have integrity? Or are you, for example, as we talked about last week, are you lying? 
Or are you not confronting things you need to confront? Are you one thing to this person or group, and another person to this person or group, and another person to this person or group, and you're about 12 different people depending on who you're with? That's a life divided versus a life of integrity and, and, uh, or getting the help you need. But listen, so I want to invite you to personally grab hold of integrity for your own life. And because um, in some ways, the lions and the bears are inside of us, that they, they have to be slain. But the second is, if you're like me, I, saw, I get wrapped up in those two voices coming at me, the depressing voice that says you're a no good bum and you'll screw this up. And the voice of God saying, you know what? God says, I brought down the lion and the bear. You have your own history with me. Not just, you know, God opening the Red Sea, but you've seen me do things in your life. That's why you're alive today. And we all have that if we stop and think about it. And those two voices coming at me, God says, I want you to remember, I'm alive. And as you hear a little bit today about what God has done here in 20 years, and, and, and New Life is one little sample of God's faithfulness. That, and we have a lot of failures in the church. We've got tremendous Terrible, I'd say, failures that we've committed over 20 years. But I'll tell you, I got great news for you. God is bigger than us. And God is faithful and God is good. And no matter how much you may have messed up your life and made horrific decisions, it was a young man who came to me first service, just got out of prison, you know, and I said, man, God, you're alive. You're alive. It's a miracle. You should be dead by now. And you, you, the lion has been, you've killed the lion and the bear because you're standing, you made it to church today, and you're trying to get on your feet. And God's got something for you. And, and there is hope for you no matter what mistakes you've made. That's the great message of today. Our, that's what David was bringing to all the troops of Israel. That the whole world might know there's a God in Israel. That the living God's alive. And so I want to get you to get perspective. You may be sitting here and you're crippled this morning. In fear and anxiety about going forward in your life. Whatever that might be. You know what the great news is? God is alive. And that's what David brought to the table here. Even though nobody else believed it. He did. And though he probably was terrified, he got up and he charged. 